When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. everybody welcome to hang out in the holy land land grants flagship podcast i am josh dooley and with me as always at least for this intro he is the red man to my method man the one the only chuck holmes and folks uh, before i greet chuck i'm looking at his face right now i don't need to do anything else i'm just gonna get right to it um yours truly will not be available for any sort of recap, which means that Chuck will be going it alone after this portion of the pod. I can guarantee you that after this, the next 30, 35, 40 minutes are going to be the best thing you've ever heard or the worst. But with the Big Ten's initial punishment of Jim Harbaugh and or Michigan coming down Friday afternoon, Chuck and I wanted to jump on Saturday morning and at least record a brief reaction slash discussion between the two of us so chuck good morning i've already told you that let's get right to it did tony panini tony Petitti, the new big 10 commissioner did he hand down the right punishment good morning i i think tony panini's bar and grill handled the the very beginning of this punishment okay and and the reason i think he did okay i don't think that this is enough if what is being said is true and that's pretty much what they said in their their briefing that all this is true but i like that he was uh very uh poignant in saying this is just the begin the potential to be just the beginning of the punishment this is just kind of starting it and uh, getting us in the right direction because this affects this season and the punishment needs to affect this. Some of the punishment needs to affect this season. So I think this was a good start. If this is all it ends up being, it's not enough, but I don't believe for a second with how mad the other 13 schools are in the big 10, that this is going to be it by any stretch of the imagination. I think I agree with pretty much everything you said. Uh, when I it first came down, I said this is not enough, and then I moved towards hold this. On, it, hold on, hold on. Do I do you want me to read the text that you sent me? Because it was a little more. It was this is bleeping weak. Is <laughs> exactly what you said to me. That's fair, and that was my initial reaction. But then I was like, you know what? This is a 
half-ass attempt at landing somewhere in the middle. And now I've moved on to a third stage where, yeah, I think that this is appropriate. For reasons that you laid out, you know, you sort of mentioned that, hey, this is where we're at now. We, if we get more evidence or, you know, other things happen, we will reevaluate. And I think that the Big Ten, I know others disagree. I think that they were smart in the way that they framed it, that, hey, we have no current, we currently have no evidence that Jim Harbaugh, you know, had in-depth knowledge of this whole scheme, right? This is an indictment on the Michigan program that we know is guilty of doing these things. Because if you read through the letter and stuff like that, like the NCAA handed over a bunch of stuff and said, this can be proven easily. And so Michigan, or I'm sorry, the Big Ten, in my opinion, had to act. They were given evidence that Michigan had this cheating thing going on and to not act at all. Like people are like, oh, this is rushed. It's not the right. Look, it's a temporary punishment. Just like Michigan is going to fight it and try and get a temporary restraining order. This is, hey, we're doing something. You want to react? Go for it. We'll start to go back and forth and we'll hash this thing out, but we're not going to sit here and just, you know, not hold you remotely accountable for, air quotes, crimes that have occurred. The other part that I think is is hilarious with, with the people that are crying that uh, due process wasn't there and um, that we didn't get our say is exactly what you said. This isn't, this isn't a court of law. These are not these are quote unquote crimes. These are not real crimes. You are not uh, in front of a a judge and jury. You are part of an organization. You broke rules up of that organization, and that organization has rights per its bylaws to punish you for said discretions. Now, part of what these organizations do, and they're allowed is they can make them as vague or as specific as they want. The sportsmanship clause or sportsmanship rule that the Big Ten has is pretty vague. And the reason it is, is for scenarios just like this. They can move on this. Chuck, what is pornography? You know it when you see it, right? That's sort of what the sportsmanship deal is. Absolutely. Absolutely. This was poor sportsmanship. This was a violation of a sportsmanship clause and they're being punished for it in a time that would allow uh, the teams that were affected this season to potentially have a say in how their season goes because they were wrongly affected. Make no mistake about it. I'm sure in the hundreds of games or whatever it was, I guarantee they were at Penn state at some point this year or they saw their games. So Penn state has currently been affected by it. So what leveling the playing field and taking your head coach off the field is not the worst thing that could have happened. Frankly, to me, it's almost not smart on their part. I know they're worried about this week and they're worried about Ohio state and they should be. 
But if this gets drug out, the Big Ten's like, say they get the TRO and the Big Ten in 10 days, they get their day in court next week and he didn't miss this week's game and he doesn't miss next week's game. If in that scenario, the Big Ten then gets a ruling that they were correct, guess what? Then his ass is going to be suspended for the Big Ten title game if you make it. And he's going to be suspended for the first playoff game if you make it. Like They're going to get their pound of flesh for this. They're not going to, if they get their ruling or rule in their favor, they're going to get their pound of flesh. So why not take it out? So I think it's a misjudgment on their part. I think it's arrogance on their part to think that they're not doing anything wrong. That's exactly what this is. They believe they didn't do anything wrong, which is crazy to consider what we actually have known. I mean, just the details we know, God knows how much we haven't seen that has been under lock and key uh, during these investigations. Yeah, it's been handed over by the NCAA, right? It's like, hey, this can be proven very easily, and here's what we have. It's a laundry list. As far as the stay or this being uh, reevaluated later, I actually don't think that his presence in the college football playoff would be affected because I think that's an NCAA thing, and I would think that they would say, no, you know, you you want to punish him for Big Ten games knock yourself out maybe that includes the conference championship game we haven't finished our investigation we don't even we haven't had the time nor are we allowed to make a ruling like the big 10 is so he can coach here but that's that's neither here nor there right that's all hypothetical you started to sort of go in this direction and that was my next question how hilarious was michigan's defense or lack thereof because it basically came down to like they didn't deny any of it their defense was basically an argument of hey this isn't fair to us and they provided screenshots that apparently other coaches had shared right the screenshots were legitimately all 22 screenshots from like tv it's amazing the Michigan was like, hey, look at this. This is the same. This is the same. It's all 22, Phil. And we don't know who was sharing that. Um, I guess it was a former Ohio State coach now talked to a former Michigan coach. We don't know all the details of that yet, but what we were privy to, or what we saw was the screenshots. And that ain't the same, Chief. Like, it's not. All 22 film and saying, hey, when Don Brown does this with a camera clearly on him, like a TV camera clearly on him, we think it's this. That is just, it's in an entirely different universe than the scheme Michigan had going on. So do you think that Michigan put forth a good defense here or were they grasping for straws and hoping for what they're trying to get today, which is the TRO? Yeah, they can't. They can't deny what actually happened, so they have to find a different defense. Like they're looking for an improper way that it was handled in order to do this. You know who I think those texts were from? I think they were Greg Madison and Al Washington texting each other 
former Ohio State and former Michigan coaches. And that's what they're using. Even, they might have been texting each other while they were at Ohio State. They have no we have no idea what they were actually. That's a good that's a very good point. Yeah, I guess you could envision it's Al Washington, and this is speculation, Al Washington, Greg Madison, and Coach Three, Coach Four. They're just talking. You know what? They're guys. And then one of them who's no longer, you know, at either, just hey, here's what we shared. That's a very, very good point for you. I didn't think about the sort of the triangle there. I thought of Hal Bashington, right? I'm not going to use his name because I don't want to accuse him, but it was him, Madison, it could be somebody else. Yeah, they could have been, for all we know, they could have been on staff at Ohio State when they shared those text messages, and they were still, quote unquote, former Michigan coaches at that point, but they could have been sharing those with uh, Kerry Combs or Halfley or whoever the hell else was on staff at the time that, I mean, that could have been something crazily uh, appropriate, but they're trying to use it because they were ex coaches. To me, this is, they're just trying, they know they're guilty, but they know they have a really good chance to win the national championship this year. And they're pulling out any stop they can in an attempt to win this national championship because they haven't won one uh, since, what was it, 97? And that was a co-championship. So they're doing everything they can, and they're pulling out all the technicalities in hopes that a judge will say, yeah, technically this was done incorrectly, and throw the case out. How many uh, criminal cases have been thrown out by mishandled evidence or um, – inappropriate uh, conduct by the police force where the person actually did the crime, but because protocols weren't followed, they couldn't be convicted. And that's what Michigan's trying to throw here. They're throwing stuff at the the wall, hoping they only need one thing to stick for a judge to say, nah, this wasn't done properly. Uh, we're going to grant this. And, and that's what they're hoping for. They're just throwing, uh, throwing poop against the wall and hoping some of it sticks. And, We'll probably get into this later, maybe not today. Even if they go and they win a national title or something, like there's a scenario out there where all of this is stripped away because the NCAA is still involved. And we know what the NCAA has, they'll, but they'll they'll get to claim it, right? And that's all that matters is being able to claim it. But we'll get to that. What does this mean? Whether he is granted the TRO or not, like I said, Chuck and I are recording Saturday morning. Nothing has happened yet. What does this mean for Jim Harbaugh long-term? To me, this feels like the end of the road. I, The only way I think he stays is if he just is so defiant and he, he, is, he lets his emotion take over. Uh, and he says, I'm not going to go out like this. But he's flirted so much with the, the NFL in the past. To me, this is – it almost lines up perfectly for him if the TRO doesn't happen because he's going to get suspended his three games. He's going to come back for whatever. And then he's going to get the leave for the NFL. And the NFL is not going to suspend him if he doesn't have a pending suspension. You know, Jim Tressel got suspended, whatever um, – Terrell Pryor got suspended a couple games when he left after he got in trouble for tattoo gate. He ended up missing the first couple games because he was suspended from Ohio state as well. They actually followed the NCAA's suspensions in the NFL. So I think as long as Harbaugh doesn't have a suspension looming over him for next season, he's gone 
because he can just go break free. I tried. I couldn't do it. The the NCAA is too burdensome. I love my school, but I need to go somewhere where I'm appreciated. The NCAA isn't that. And he can go coach the Bears and Drake May and hopefully not Marvin Harrison if that happens. (laughs) And live happily ever after in Chicago until he gets fired because everybody hates him because he's a dickhead. (laughs) I just, I wonder about the money because it seems like there is this conversation or these rumors that Michigan is preparing this huge extension to make him the highest paid coach in the big 10. And like, if this goes down the road or, you know, more and more comes out, first of all, I don't think Michigan We'll do that. Like if the NCAA is involved and they're, you know, sort of waving their their knife, their hammer around, it'd be tough for Michigan to be like, hey, we're committing and we don't care. Um, And if they did, I think the Big Ten and the NCAA, like they'd be like, we hate you. We are sick of you. (laughs) Like, um, you know, Michigan has uh, apparently talked about leaving the Big Ten whatever they're not leaving the big 10 they're not leaving the money on the table they're not joining the ac freaking c um where's phil castellini to tell him where are you gonna go yeah that's yeah where else are you gonna go but i i think that i agree with you i think that jim harbaugh will use the excuse you know hey the ncaa is out to get me the big Ten's out to get me so i'm gonna leave um and when you really look at his Michigan legacy as a coach, this is going to follow him. This is a, at this point, it's like a matter of fact that at the very least, his assistant coaches, his coordinators, like they were privy to knowing the other team's plays that they were, uh, you know, they knew signals like the wins are not going to count the same. So people are going to look at Jim Harbaugh and his time at Michigan and be like, you know, he dropped four or five straight to Ohio state. They ducked 2020. And then, you know, the team got markedly better, but they were also cheating at the same time. I don't know how you separate that. Um, even if you, we agree that they got better, like they took steps, right. And they had some guys like Aiden Hutchinson and so on and so forth, but I don't know how you separate that. So it's going to be and four duck to game, your, your staff, your team, whatever they were doing some sort of cheating. He's been suspended now more times than he's won a bowl game. You know, this is out there on social media suspended twice he has one bowl win I, I don't even know if people realize how bad his first half a decade half a dozen years were at Ohio uh, Michigan I know that he was trying to build the program back up but they weren't a great football team they were an above average football team and then all of a sudden the recruits stay the same much of the coaching staff stays the same the schemes and everything they stay the same <clears throat> But Michigan starts beating everyone and beating them handily. So I think it would just be an easy out for him to leave. The last question I sort of have here is what next? We don't know about the TRO, but 
we do know that a lot of evidence has been provided by the NCAA to the Big Ten. Seems like a lot of information gathered and rumors confirmed or proven in a short matter of time. And usually, these investigations don't unearth less as they go on, right? Like, this isn't the end of the road, in my opinion. Other stuff is going to come out. Whether that other stuff is salacious or not, who knows? But I don't think that the discovery period is over, especially if Michigan continues to challenge this um, harder and harder. So before I let you go, I'll just, I will say that I think this has the potential to get very ugly for both Harbaugh and Michigan. But the only question I sort of ask myself is when is the last time we saw the NCAA really drop the hammer on a big time coach and or program. I mean, Bill Self got a slap on the wrist and then a lifetime contract. Uh, I, I can't think of the last like big time coach and or program that really got hammered with this. But where are you at, Chuck? They haven't. But most schools, and I know Kansas was a little bit defiant with kind of keeping Self in uh, role and not really doing anything ahead of time. Um Arizona fired Sean Miller. Now, I think that was more because he sucked as a coach and they just weren't happy with the the lack of wins. But no institution has really gone above and beyond like Michigan is currently doing with backing what they did wasn't wrong. So I think there is a chance the NCAA drops a a hammer from their point of view i don't think it'll be anything that you and i think is a hammer but i also don't think it's going to happen anytime soon i would be shocked if it happened for next season i I feel like this is a 2025 season concept they're going to take a year to figure it out which puts you at the end of next season and then They'll wait till they get through the playoff to announce anything because they don't want to screw the playoff up. They want all eyes on that. So to me, this is a a year and a half away or 15 months away. Well, supposedly the NCAA is fast tracking their investigation and they have handed a lot over to the Big Ten already. So they have a lot to work with. And if Michigan opens itself up to discovery, that's where I think it could get very ugly because I don't know. I'm assuming that at the very least, Connor Stallions is linked in some way to former assistants slash coordinators. That's just me making an assumption, but standing next to the guy saying, Hey, this means that like it's on camera. So, and then just how deep does that wormhole go with Stallions? Whether or not Jim Harbaugh is implicated, it doesn't necessarily matter. He's the CEO of the program. You see in all sorts of uh, you know policies and write-ups, the coach is responsible whether he has direct knowledge or not. And so I do think that something comes down. How severe, I don't know. But... This is a three-year that we know of operation. Think about what's already been confirmed. 
Um, then I don't know, like what's going on with Blake Corum? You know, why is his name on a business license with Connor Stallions? He says he doesn't know him, but, or he's not in business with them, but he's got the Instagram post with the hashtag, right? There's a lot of smoke. And I think where there's smoke, there's often big, big fire. And with Harbaugh, what's going to be held against him, it's the multiple suspensions and his failure to cooperate in anything. Like, he's been suspended for known recruiting violations and then being less than truthful or just refusing to cooperate. This is some sort of known, I'm going to call it cheating scandal. It's known. His involvement, we're not sure of yet, but that's a lot of things, man. Like when your head coach is at least handed a, two different suspensions in the same year for a total of six games. And like, that's a lot of stuff. And for the NCAA and or the Big Ten later down the road to just be like, ah, he, he served his time. I'm not sure. So I think that if he bolts for the NFL, which we know that he has had recent interest in doing, then it would actually take some of the heat off the school that he so dearly loves and it could potentially minimize the damage and net him an NFL paycheck if he chooses to go that route. I'm not necessarily predicting it, but it's certainly possible. And so whether it's a year or two from now, whatever, I don't think that Jim Harbaugh, even if he gets a big contract extension, there may be some buyout language I don't think that he is long for Michigan just because of all of this stuff. And it would be easier for both parties if he just left. Whether he uses it for a crutch, I'm not sure. Something else is going to happen beyond this. I, I'm just, I feel certain of that. The other part that is, to me, is almost a guarantee and it affects the two coordinators differently. Uh, I think Jesse Minner is gone. He'll be back in the NFL next year. Now, if Harbaugh leaves, it's a natural that he just takes Minter with him and he's his defensive coordinator with whoever he leaves with. But Minter came from the Ravens just like McDonald did. So to me, he's going to end up back in the NFL where he can kind of skate from any of this. The one that I think is going to hurt more is uh, Sharon Moore, the offensive coordinator, because he was being looked at for head coaching jobs. There were conversations that he should go be a head coach at multiple universities. I don't know who would hire him to be a head coach right now with this hanging over them. One, how can you trust that what he was doing was actually effective without help? Can he come do that at your school? And then why would you want to risk any kind of suspension or anything coming forward once you hire him. It would be different if he was a uh, established coach, but he's never been a head coach, so you don't really know. So if you're going to take a chance on a coordinator, you would probably take one on a coordinator that doesn't have the NCAA hanging over their head and hope that they work out versus one that, hey, Next year, he may not come for cheating, and then you have to explain that to the board, your board of trustees. So, to me, it's going to hurt him, and it's going to hurt the university because I just don't. Why would Minner stay? And he's he's gotten the the stats that show he's a good coach, so he's going to try to parlay that. And frankly, 
McDonald probably had the same signs and he's gone and actually made the Ravens a better defense. So Minter can point to what McDonald's done and say, Hey, I'm going to do the exact same thing. And some, some NFL team will, will buy it. I think the coordinators, like the coordinators have to be implicated in this. I would think. I mean, they're literally standing there talking to the guys. They're standing there talking. Yes, absolutely. That's why the I NFL think the... doesn't care. Yeah. yeah. They, so I don't think they'll care with Minter. The problem with Moore is he's never coached to the NFL. So if he goes to the NFL, he could, but he's not going to go as an offensive coordinator. He may go as a line coach or a tight ends coach, and he have to start his journey back up the ladder. But and that may happen. That may be what what ends up happening because he's he's too toxic. But he is going to get hurt way more in this than Mentor, even if they both get implicated like I think they should, like you and I both think they should. Yeah, and that's what I was getting at. Like, are their careers ultimately going to be affected? Minimal, maybe. But that's where it's more of an indictment on the Michigan program. Because, yeah, like you're standing next to this guy. He's got the laminated sheets. He's saying, hey, they're going to do this. They're going to do this. They're going to do this. And the thing that I was thinking of, and, you know, this is not an original thought, like Connor Stallions, the dude was unpaid in 2021 and arranging all of this stuff and buying the tickets and this, that, and the other, like, I know he probably had some some vet stuff coming in. Chuck, happy Veterans Day. By the way, we're in time to bring it up. Uh, but my partner over there is a veteran. So send him something on social media or whatever when you interact with us. It he didn't do he was not the lone gunman. I just refuse to believe that an unpaid volunteer who was then promote you know, given a full time position in twenty twenty two was doing all of this stuff on vacuum cleaner money you know so that just sort of is what it is but i i think that's going to wrap up this portion of the pod chuck's going to cook he's going to recap michigan state i think he's going to talk a little bit of basketball as well but i'm going to get out of here partner uh i appreciate you allowing me to come on your platform and talk about this scandal for a little bit. Before I go, though, before I go, shout out to Ohio State Wrestling. They're a top 10 squad. They went to into Blacksburg, took down number three Virginia Tech last night. Go Tom Ryan. Go Ohio State. Go wrestlers. I'm out. All right, everybody, welcome back to Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast. I am Chuck Holmes. When we left you after the first part of this pod, we mentioned Josh wouldn't be here for the recap portion of it. It's Sunday morning. He is, I'm sure at this point, in nothing but body paint and a pair of orange and black Zubaz as he goes to the Bengals and Texans game. I'm guessing he's immersing himself in the Cincinnati culture. He has at least eight Hootie Delights down the old gullet. My guess is he's got three or four cheese conies ready to go, even though it's very early in the morning at this point. He may have already eaten those. Uh, Best of luck to his wife. She, unfortunately, is the one that has to deal with him today. Luckily, she's much tougher than he is. Uh, 
so she shouldn't have much trouble manhandling him when he becomes uh, incapable of being a human being. But hope they get to see a Bengals win. And he's going to give us a full C.J. Stroud recap afterwards uh, on this week's pod, probably on Wednesday when you hear from us next. So without him, really all I want to do is kind of just recap men's basketball and then obviously uh, Buckeye football. That's that's our normal Sunday uh, deal. We want to talk about last night's game, a great win by the Buckeye football team. So I want to save that one so that we can kind of have our palate cleansed at the end of the pod. Let's get into this Buckeye basketball men's team, uh, a 73-66 loss to 15th-ranked Texas A&M on Friday nights, a game that they were in for most of, but it sure felt like it was more of the same from last year. I know they were in the game but they just did not do enough winning basketball plays to win this game. And, and what I say by that is there's a few things you got to do, you know, when you, if you want to consistently be a good basketball team, you've got to have something that you can hang your hat on if you're a good basketball team. It could be defense. It could be rebounding. It could be ball movement. Most good teams have multiple things like that that they do really well, and that's why they are good teams. The Buckeyes didn't really do any of that Friday night. It was a game where they didn't shoot well. They definitely didn't shoot well in the end of the game when it was needed most. They shot 5 of 18 in the final 10 minutes of this game, which... I don't need to tell you isn't the way to handle business when you're trying to win a basketball game that is close. They didn't rebound the ball well. They got out-rebounded by 10. Texas A&M, after the game, Buzz Williams said they, they actually recruit rebounding. They recruit guys that can do this, and they practice it every single day in practice. And it shows. They wore the Buckeyes down. Uh, Felix Okpara, three rebounds. 22 minutes, that's not going to get it done in in any kind of scenario. It's definitely not going to get it done during Big Ten play once they get there. Uh, I'm asking any and all social media posts showing how strong Felix Akpara is now compared to his freshman year to stop until he grabs more than three rebounds in a 22-minute performance. One rebound per seven minutes played for somebody who's 6'10 is just not, not where it needs to be. We had Scotty Middleton and Dale Bonner. I know they're guards, but they played 16 minutes apiece. Zero rebounds between them. Actually, this is kind of scary. Zero rebounds, zero assists, zero steals. Scotty Middleton had a block, but they did have two turnovers. So you got 32 minutes out of bench guys, and they offered really nothing of winning basketball anything. So that part is is pretty concerning. Jamison Battle had four, and I know he's not the guy that's going to grab you 12, but when you're the second biggest guy on the floor, you got to grab more than four, especially when you're playing 23 minutes. I know he did score 10 points. Uh, he was one of the only Buckeyes that actually shot well. He was four for eight, two for five from three. As a team, they shot 41% from the field, 21% from three, and 58% from the line. That's not going to get it done. I don't think any of us came into this season thinking 
that these were going to be the Curry and Clay Warriors when it comes to shooting threes. But there was some hope that they were going to be better than this. And 21% from behind the line, three-point line, is not going to be a winning formula when you're also getting out-rebounded and when you're also not sharing the ball. Nine players played more than seven minutes in this game. Two of them, for the Buckeyes, had assists. There were seven Buckeyes that played more than seven minutes that did not record an assist in this game. So to me, that is, and as you watch it, you feel it. Like I I watched a game. I didn't get to watch it live. I was watching some high school football regional semi-action on Friday night. But when I came home and I watched it, you could feel it. There's just not a cohesiveness to the ball moving, and this isn't a new thing. This is something that we've been talking about. Frankly, this is something that has been a staple of Chris Holtman teams for a while. So it is concerning in a sense that nothing really has changed with this team, it seems like, offensively. And we heard that in the Oakland game that the coach said they knew exactly what the Buckeyes were going to run every time. Well, it sure felt like Texas A&M also knew it, and it sure felt like the Buckeyes weren't ready to make that extra pass, and they they just seem like once somebody gets the ball in a position that could be a shooting position, the ball's going up, and that's not always the best shot, evidenced by 41.9% shooting. So a lot of things for this team to clean up. I am, as a fan, cautiously optimistic that there's some things here that as they get more um, cohesion, they can make some of that happen. Obviously, you think about it, Battle's new, Mahaffey's new, uh, Akpar didn't play much, Royal's new, uh, Middleton's new, Bonner's new. So there's six of the nine guys that played significant minutes Friday night that are new or did not play much last year. So there's hope in that. Now, you got to start seeing it soon. Merrimack's not the mid-major. They're not the uh, Power 5 killer that some of these other mid-majors are. You got to go handle business against Merrimack this week. This has got to be a 25 to 30 point win. The ball's got to move. The boards have to be cleaned up. And hopefully the shots have to go in. Uh, It would also help if they did a little bit better on ball when they're guarding the ball. I know that was something Chris Holtman said in his postgame press conference. They have to get better on the ball, especially in in the screen game. So let's hope that this weekend's practice time gave them an opportunity to do that. And seeing themselves on tape against a quality opponent. I know Oakland's a good team for their level. Uh, good-ish team, I should say. But Texas A&M is a top 15 team for a reason. They deserve that ranking. So to see yourself against a team like that on film, let's hope they see some things that can help them. And this is the kind of a, not a turning point, but this is kind of the, hey, this is where we're at. Let's push forward and start making some improvements on the glass, sharing the ball, playing some defense, and making a run with a team who is very talented. I don't think the basketball talent on this team is a subpar level of talent. 
But now they've got to turn it into a collection of talent that actually goes and wins basketball games. So that's Texas A&M and Ohio State. Not a great start to the weekend for Ohio State sports, but nonetheless, a lot of season left. All right, let's get to the main course here. Ohio State, Michigan State, gray unis, under the lights. We're finally another night game. I love 12 o'clock kickoffs because I'm not up late because I'm an old man, but I do love the occasional 7, 7.30 kickoff because it gives you an opportunity. You got your whole day. You can do whatever you want. You're finishing up dinner, cracking a couple cold ones, and you're ready to watch some Buckeyes into the evening. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed this game. We're not going to litigate the opponent. Michigan State is not a good team. But as we talk about these players and these plays and what they did or didn't do, we are not going to do it in the uh, mirror of Michigan State stinks and they should have done this. We are just going to, if they did well, we're going to talk about them doing well. And we will worry about the strength of opponent next week against Minnesota, who is obviously a little bit better team. We'll worry about that next week. This week, we're going to worry about 38-3 drubbing of Michigan State. It was 35 at half. Only three points scored in the second half for the Buckeyes. Part of that was, uh, I think, about 200 different players got to play in the second half. Everybody that is not being saved for a red shirt got to play in the second half. Uh, those There are still some that haven't played enough games that could play yesterday, and they got to play. I think uh, you know guys like Dallin Hayden, who are the Buckeyes may actually need and we'll talk about later, didn't. But there were a bunch of guys. It was My head was spinning at the end of the game as I was trying to watch who was coming into the game on offense and defense, especially defense. Defense was just rolling through guys. So that part of it was awesome to see. That's a great part of having a subpar opponent late in the year. Whereas if these guys haven't come close to using their four games that are... Uh, they have to stay under for a red shirt. It's almost like a guarantee that they can get a few reps in this game and they're able to feel... Ohio Stadium and feel big time football in case for whatever reason they're needed at the end of this year. But more importantly, so when they hit the ground running next season and are fighting for a starting position or even a rotation position, they are in, uh, they have felt the stadium and they have felt what it feels like to be out there. So I, I can't be happier with the performance I think that the Buckeyes had yesterday. We've talked ad nauseum about fast starts, and that's exactly what they did, right? Three touchdowns on their first three possessions, and they weren't short fields, right? Eight plays, 75 yards, four plays, 61 yards, 13 plays, 84 yards, had a three and out, and then another six plays, 70 yard, eight plays, 74 yards. Michigan State did not turn the ball over. They did not give them short fields. They punted it away, and made Ohio State run the entire length of the field. And for the first time this season, Ohio State did it. And the Buckeyes were, the offense was clicking. It was a clinic in that first half. And it was something to build on. And it was a game that they needed to build on because you knew, we know what's coming, right? And... The week before the game is not the week to start building on some stuff and gaining some confidence. 
you need to validate it the week before. So Minnesota needs to be a validation for what they did this week, but they had to do it this week to say, yes, we can do this. 530 total yards, 353 passing yards. They were driving the ball down the field. Uh, Kyle McCord was not Kyle McCheckdown like he was last week. It was refreshing to see. It looked like an Ohio State offense of the last few years and how they handled it um, in those scenarios. The second half was obviously a different half, only three points. To me, that was a Ryan Day knew this game was in hand. He did not need to risk these guys to put 70 points up. Part of what's great about being the number one team in the college football playoff is a 38-3 win is not going to drop you out of the top four. We'll talk later whether we think it's going to drop us out of the top one, but it's not going to drop them out of the top four. So he could go into this second half, be very conservative, get out of the game without being uh, too banged up, try to keep the guys that are banged up from hurting themselves more, and be ready to go for Minnesota. So that part of it, I'm not too concerned about how that second half went. I kind of like that everybody got to play. It was a game that these guys will remember for a long time. So a few notes about the offense. This was by far the offense's best performance since Western Kentucky, I would guess. They, and even Western Kentucky, I know they put up more points. I would say it was not as impressive of a performance as this was in the first half. You know, I love seeing uh, just handling business, pushing the ball down the field, mixing it up. Uh, I think Ryan Day did a really good job of mixing run and pass in that first half, pushing the ball to Marvin Harrison, uh, enhancing his Heisman campaign during those drives. Uh, We're going to talk about his campaign here in a little bit. The two-minute drill at the end of the half was my favorite drive of the season. McCord looked completely in control. Even, uh, you know, he threw one to Fleming that was a little bit off. And uh, it it should have been a catch. Or it should have been a completion. Uh, Fleming dove for it, couldn't get to it. In games past, that that would have ruined that two-minute drive. It did not. And he kept pushing the ball down the field. Uh, That was the one that Stover finally got in the end. So the, the catches Kate Stover is making this year... Like, that was a back shoulder falling down uh, on his butt. I, I'm just, I'm blown away at the precision at which he can catch the ball. And frankly, after his first catch in that game, when he was limping, he got he got grabbed by that hurt leg, and he was limping after his first catch. I go, oh boy, how, how long is he going to be able to go in this game? And do they really need to push the envelope and let him play? It sure felt like and looked like after that he was okay. But after that first one, I was like, oh, man. Uh, That being said, just ho-hum, seven more catches for him. Another touchdown. It was a two-minute drive that you want to see. Those are the kind of drives that can kill momentum for a team. In a scenario where you're getting the ball in the second half, if you could score like that, it's it's unbelievably good for momentum going into the half, even if you're not. Like Michigan State got the ball to to start the second half, 
scoring another touchdown and just kind of putting a nail in that coffin so that the game was over was exactly what you wanted to see from this offense. Emeka Abuka wasn't much of a factor in this game. I still don't think he's right. To me, he looks like he's a step slow. Now, we talked about this earlier in the year, and nobody wants to hear this, but one of two things, and it could be both, are happening with Emeka Ibuka here right now. One is he's still not healthy, and he's trying to fight through this because he wants to be a part of this team, and that is 100% commendable, and I, I love him for that. Two... We never really saw a great Ibuka game this year. I know he went 5 for 95 against Notre Dame and made a fantastic catch at the end of that game. That was a a career-defining catch as a Buckeye. But he hasn't been over 100 yards this entire season. And he hasn't really looked shifty and able to cut in and out of breaks like he did last year. I'm telling you, and Gene, if you're listening to this, I am fully on board with the Gene Ross, uh, Mickey Mariotti makes these guys too big in some scenarios uh, plan. I think Emeka Ibuka is too big. We joke and we call him Emeka Biceps. He put on a ton of weight. I, don't, I know maybe he, they, they don't want to say how much, but for a receiver who only walks around at 195 pounds, if you put 10 or 15 pounds on, that's a lot of weight. And not everybody can put on weight and continue to be as fast and as elusive as they were at their lighter weight. You've seen this throughout sports for all of our lives. Some guys can do it. Some guys can gain weight and put on muscle and not be hindered by uh, with their speed and with their agility. I don't think he's one of those guys, and I think he got a little bit too big, and I think part of that is hurting him now. It might also be hurting him being able to get healthy. When you're carrying a few extra pounds on your joints, it is something that is harder for you to overcome. So that part of it is worth watching next week going into the game because they need him to beat Michigan to be much better than he was yesterday. Coming out of the half... I thought he might be on the Denzel Burke plan. You know, I, th- I don't even think Denzel Burke got to bring his helmet out at the sec- at the end of the second half. I get why Ibuka played in the second half. I think they were trying to get him going. But when he started limping after that last throw into the end zone, I'm like, oh, man. So hopefully there was nothing to that. I don't think he came back into the game after that. I think that was when they said, okay, this is enough. We are where we need to be. Let's just make sure he's ready to go for next week. Uh, a couple other guys on the offense. Xavier Johnson was back to being the gimmicky uh, Swiss Army knife that he is. And, and when he is that, he's successful. A couple of runs. He had a couple of passes. He is the shiftiest, snakingest guy I've ever seen when it comes to getting the ball. My man can wind his way through a defense better than anybody maybe in Ohio State history. It's so much fun to walk when, watch when he's rolling like that. The run game, for the most part, was effective. Travion hit the hole hard. The difference between Travion Henderson hitting the hole and every other running back on this team, you, you almost... I know I forgot it when he was out those couple weeks, and then he came back, and I just... I can't stress how much more enjoyable he is to watch and how much more impressive it is to watch him hit the hole. 
my man hits the hole now. He doesn't mess around. The only guy on the team I think that even has a shot to be anywhere near him is Dallin Hayden. Obviously, he didn't play much today. or he I'm sorry, he did not play last night. So that wasn't something that you got to compare him against one another. That being said, last night he hit the hole and there was a Michigan State guy waiting for him multiple times. I do think the run blocking took a step back last night. I know he was 13 for, I want to say 65, 63, 4.8 yards of carry. Very impressive. Travion Henderson against Michigan State is not a 4.8 yards per carry guy. He's a seven and a half yards per carry guy against those guys if his line handles business. There was at least five of those carries that he got hit before he hit the line. And and three or four of them, I mean, he got stood up. It was it wasn't like somebody was tripping him up or making him dance. It was he was taking the ball, heading towards his hole, and there was somebody that had him completely stood up at the line. So that part of it was a little concerning. I know I feel like the pass pro was really good, but the the pass or the run blocking took a little bit of a step back. Now if Travion got 25 carries, could he have busted one or two of those and ended up at seven yards a carry because he took one for 65 yards? Sure, that could have been it, and it could have made it look a lot better stat-wise. But the eye test just did not – it did not seem like they were as sharp as they had been the last couple of weeks. I'm sure PFF will tell us they were all 99 out of 100s because I don't understand anything they do in their grading system. But that being said – Still an impressive performance. The team went for 177 yards, five and a half a carry. We'll take that on almost every weekend that the Buckeyes play. So Kyle McCord and Marvin Harrison. McCord, by far his best game. 24 completions, 335 yards. Last week, 24 completions might have gotten him, what, 170 yards? He was pushing the ball down the field. It wasn't just to Marvin Harrison, but Marvin Harrison was the – Biggest uh, winner of yesterday's game, 7 for 149, two touchdowns through the air. He had a 19-yard end around. It was great that that scored, and I love seeing it. Let's be honest, folks, that was literally just to put on tape. I don't think in any scenario, way, shape, or form, Ryan Day thought he was going to take that in from 19 yards, but they wanted to get the end around on film so that it starts uh, seeping in. Maybe Connor Stallion saw it live. He could see what it does, and he has that signal now so they can go forward and and be ready for it in two weeks. So Harrison was as dynamic as we've seen him. And now we need to talk about the elephant in the room. And I know I'm in the minority as a Buckeye fan here, but I do not think Marvin Harrison has any chance to win this Heisman Trophy. And I know that is not something that I should be saying, and it is sacrilegious for me to not blindly say that my guy should be the winner, but facts are facts. And the fact of the matter is, is we've had one receiver win this award since 1991, and that was Devontae Smith. Devontae Smith won it during a COVID year. You know, that was the year I think the Buckeyes, what the Buckeyes play, six games, Uh, The SEC played 10. The SEC had three of the four finalists that year because not everybody was playing enough football to even consider a Heisman Trophy winner. So when he won the award, 
Devontae Smith was really only going up against one conference. Trevor Lawrence was a finalist. He threw for 2,700 yards. That's not really finalist territory any other year. So we're going to go ahead and mark him out. So really, he was up against his quarterback, Mac Jones, and he was up against Kyle Trask. That was it. There was there was nobody else that could really be justified for the award in his 11 games that he played that year. He played 13 total, but the 11 that they played, 10 regular season, 11 SEC championship. Devontae Smith, 98 catches, 1,500 yards, 17 touchdowns. To put it in perspective, Marvin Harrison's at 59, 1063, and 12 touchdowns. So does he have an outside shot to get to those numbers over 13 games? Yes. I think, and I think he might get to all all of them. He won't get to the catches, but he might get to the yards and to the touchdowns in 13 games. Devontae Smith did that in 11. The other part of that. Devontae Smith did not have to compare himself to Jaden Daniels. So going into this week, you would argue that Bo Nix, Michael Penix, and Jaden Daniels were probably the three favorites for the Heisman Trophy. Jaden Daniels went for 600 yards this week and five touchdowns in a win. Michael Penix, 332 and three touchdowns in a win against a ranked opponent. Bo Nix, 412 and four touchdowns against a ranked opponent. So... While Marvin Harrison's game was very impressive and him only playing two and a half quarters will be held against him, he did not gain any ground (laughs) on the guys that he was competing against. 150 and three touchdowns is a great game. That is not an earth-shattering game. It's not even Marvin Harrison's best game. And the fact of the matter is he has multiple games this year where he didn't even get to 50 yards. Is that Marvin Harrison's fault? No, it's not. It's the quarterback play's fault. Uh, It's some play calling's fault. But the Heisman Trophy goes to the player with the best stats who combined with some winning football. He's not going to have the best stats. Frankly, he's not even going to have the best stats among wide receivers. I think neighbors down at LSU ends up with better stats than Harrison. All this doesn't say anything about the player he is or the player he's going to be. I don't for one second doubt that he is the best player in the NFL of all these guys. He is going to be a top three pick at worst. He is going to play as long as his body will hold up in the NFL. And I think 10,000 yards receiving is probably a low end of his prime peak if he is healthy for the 10, 12, 14 years that we think he can play in the NFL. I believe he's the best player in college football. I don't think he has even a slightest chance to win this Heisman Trophy just because simply receivers don't win it. And his numbers, while impressive, are not earth-shattering. And they're just not going to compare to the quarterbacks that ultimately are going to be One of them is going to win this. I do think he deserves to be in New York City. I think he'll be a top three or four guy in it. But he's just not going to win this. Unless he goes for up eight, nine hundred yards the next three weeks. Which, looking at the defenses they're going to play, probably isn't really something that we're going to see. So, sorry to be the mood killer. But... 
I think it had to be out there, and I wanted to get it on record. I love that everybody wants him to win it, and I think everybody should root for it. I just think we should probably be a little more realistic in that the chances of him taking this trophy home are slim, and Slim is really ready close to leave the station and taking none with him. So that's the offensive portion of yesterday's game. The boys handled business in the first half. Everybody got to play. Oh, speaking of, I, I, I missed something. Uh, we got the debut of a couple guys. Lincoln Kineholtz got to come into the game. Jelani Thurman got his first couple of catches, both from Lincoln. Kineholtz had another throw down the sideline to the end zone that was a decent throw. I thought they had a chance. It was Ballard that he threw it to. The only problem with the throw, and in and, and this game there's not a problem, Ballard really didn't have a step on the guy, but Keenholz threw a dime. He put it right where he needed to. If Ballard had a step on that guy, they had a chance to complete it, so that was really impressive. One thing I noticed on the offensive line, too, before they emptied the bench out, Matt Jones slid over to center for two possessions, and... Uh, Our boy Enoch Bimahi came in and played guard. I thought that was interesting. I didn't see anything on Hensman being hurt. I could have missed it. But to me, that was just them saying, hey, we want to get him a couple of snaps here in case we need something to happen in the future. If something happens, we want to make sure we have a backup center. And then I think the last possession or two, they cleared out the bench on the offensive line. Uh, Vic Cutler got in. Uh, Tegra got in. I'm forgetting other guys that got in the game. My favorite play of the game, it was the last play of the game. I know you guys saw this. As the play was ending, uh, a Ohio State lineman, Tegra Shibola was the guy. He comes driving his guy down the play. 38-3. They're running one last run play. They didn't even have to run it. But my man, last play of the game, takes a Michigan State player, throws him out of the club, about 15 yards down the line. Another Michigan State player sees it happening and dives on top of him in the middle of it trying to start something. And Tager gets up after he throws my man out of the club, gets up and walks to the sideline. Doesn't engage. He's not jawing with anybody. He gets up. He threw my man out. He did his job, and he's back to bouncing. I loved it. Let's hope he we get to see some more of that in the future from him. Defensively, this game was uh, just a ho-hum, normal, what we've come to expect from this defense performance. It was boring. They kept the ball in front of them. They did what they needed to do, and they got out of there with three points given up. It was, I think, if as they watch this film, Jim Knowles is going to say, and I'm sure during the his press conference this week he will mention they probably gave up more yards than they wanted to give up I do think some of that was due to the injuries though obviously no Josh Proctor no Lathan Ransom no Tommy Eichenberg three guys that are really big in the run game and I think not only not having them hurt but there were scenarios during that game where Knowles wasn't as aggressive as he wanted to be in an effort to protect his true freshman safety and his sophomore safety who is as old as a true freshman and Sonny Styles and Malik Hartford just to make sure having one guy back there that's really young is one thing having both of them back there for the entire game that are young is another so I think he wanted to protect them a little bit that being said this was Sonny Styles' best game 
He deployed him in multiple spots. You saw him playing deep safety a little bit, but he is most effective when he is around the line and he's able to be a threat, not only to blitz, but to be a threat in the flat and to be a threat in the run game. He had a couple of blitzes that he timed up perfectly and they were they were what you should show when you want to teach guys, this is how you time up a blitz. They were... Uh, effective when they blitzed I I'm guessing he didn't blitz a lot in an effort to save some things you don't need the blitz against this team you want to save some of the in some of them that were a little more intricate they want to get a little crazy they'll save those Uh, they owe Michigan a couple of those uh, crazy blitzes that they haven't seen yet so that part of it was not surprising at all There was a couple things during the game that I heard that were kind of interesting. Cody Simon has a year of eligibility left, and apparently James Laurinaitis is pushing him to stay and be a starter and a captain and lead this defense next year. I thought that was fascinating to hear. That is a far cry from what we have talked about Cody Simon in the past, and I fully admit I've not been a fan of his. This year, he has changed my mind on it. I don't think uh, by any stretch of the imagination the defense has fallen off with him on the field. Frankly, I think it's been better with him on the field in a lot of scenarios. He has been more consistent than Steel Chambers has been when he's been on the field. So that part of it was crazy for me to hear. It'll be interesting to see if that really comes to fruition. I still think even with what he's done this year, he's probably a draftable prospect. But... Does the thought of being a captain and maybe being a day two guy as opposed to a late day three guy change his mind and make him want to come back here? So it'll be interesting to see with that. Uh, Secondary held their own. Denzel Burke played the first half, looked like himself. He gave up that first completion, and it wasn't even really – he just was a little bit off of the guy. I'm guessing he didn't even bring his helmet out the second half. Somebody probably took it from him at halftime because he did not see any playing time in the second half. Matthews came in. You didn't really see a drop-off. A little concerning at the end that he looked like he got his hand caught up in a mask or near a mask when he broke up a pass and came off the field and was getting looked at. Let's hope that's not something that's long-term. They need that depth at corner with the idea that Sonny Styles probably isn't going to be playing any nickel the rest of this season with the news that Lathan Ransom is going to be a longer term. So... That really leaves you with Jordan Hancock playing in the slot for the rest of the year. And you need that fourth corner to be available if something were to happen to one of these three guys. So hopefully nothing big with him. It was awesome to see them clear out the bench on the defense. Like I said, my head was spinning. They were bringing guys in so fast. Our boy CJ Hicks got some playing time. He was one of the first ones that they were able to get in. Um, I think at one point towards uh, the middle, I would say, of the fourth quarter. It wasn't even the last possession. It was one of the earlier possessions than that. The only guy on the field that would be considered a starter or close to were Simon and Hartford. And they both ended up coming out of the game as well right after that. I mean, Jair Brown, uh, Simpson Hunt. Turner, Hero Canoe, Jermaine Matthews, uh, 
Caden Curry and Jihad Carter. There was a Jihad Carter sighting. I couldn't have been happier. I didn't see him make any plays, but I'm hoping he can be that backup safety that they really need now, especially with Proctor banged up. I know they said Proctor is closer than Ransom, but if Proctor's out another week or so, who knows what happens during Michigan, and it sure looks like Ransom might be done for the year. If he's in a walking boot and a rolling cart two weeks from the game, it sure feels like he's done at least until bowl season. So they need Jahad Carter to show something and show something quick. Now, let's talk about these defense events. There is... I don't know how to say this. I don't know what... PFF watches. None of us do. Uh, there was some something that came out this week that Jack Sawyer was the only defensive end in fo- college football that had an 80 grade in run defense and pass de- rush. Whoever grades him doesn't actually watch Ohio State football games. And when I t- talk to people about this in person and when I talk to people on, on social media about this, everybody can tell me the plays that these guys make. And here's what I can tell you about a pass rusher and a defensive end. If you can point out the play that they made in a game, that means they didn't make enough plays. And JT Tuimolau and Jack Sawyer both made that I remember one really good play yesterday. And that was it. And neither of them were sacks, And they played the entire first half into the third quarter against a team that stinks. I know I said we weren't going to litigate them, but I met more in the scenario of, hey, we had a good performance. We're not going to shit on that good performance because it was against a bad team. A bad performance against a bad team is something that needs to be addressed. There is no scenario where those two should come out of a game like this having both made one play. There were potential there were pass plays where I got to a four count and there was not a single defensive lineman within three or four yards of the quarterback. So for that to happen against this team after what we thought was some progress is concerning to me. And it's not like This was Jaden Daniels, who loves to take off and run. This guy doesn't run. You notice it when he did take off and running. He's running for his life. He's scared. He did not want to be doing it. He wanted to stay in the pocket. And frankly, he got to stay in the pocket because there was no pressure at all. The only pressure they really got on him was as soon as they blitzed, it was immediate, right? As soon as they blitzed, it forced him up in the pocket and the defensive tackles cleaned up in a lot of scenarios. The blitzer cleaned up in some other scenarios. But even in those, the defensive ends weren't anywhere to be found. So I know it makes me seem like I'm hating on these guys because their grades are high and I'm saying they are low. But all I can say is I've watched these games and you're just not seeing production. They're never going to be the Chase Young and Bosa's of the world. We know that. But... And people talk about uh, all the time, I've heard this comparison plenty. They talk about Jack Sawyer being the Sam Hubbard of this defense. 
Well, Sam Hubbard had six, seven, eight, nine sacks when he was a Buckeye. So that's false. Sam Hubbard gets more sacks in the NFL than Jack Sawyer does in the, uh, for Ohio State. So that's false. You guys have revisionist history of how good Sam Hubbard was. Right now, Jack Sawyer can't carry his jockstrap. So I'm hoping that changes. I think we're going to get an opportunity over the next few games for him to make those changes, and I'm all here for it. I will be the first one to eat crow and say these guys played well in a scenario where they do. Until then, I'm going to be realistic and say yesterday's performance wasn't good enough by the starting defensive ends, and I'm hoping that's something that changes. So We're getting pretty deep here. I don't want to talk about special teams. It's not worth our time. What I will say, I will give a little bit of props, and this is not much. But Jaden Ballard almost broke one yesterday. I actually thought he was one guy away from breaking a a punt return. So kudos to him. Other than that, I don't I don't want to I don't even want to talk about it, guys. It's not it's not worth our time. It's not worth, frankly, um, dealing with. So I think that's going to be the pod for today, guys. A big Buckeye win over Michigan State. Let's enjoy. The fact that they handled business against a team that they should have handled business against. Kyle McCord was not Kyle McCheckdown, and that was a good sign. He looked healthy. The ankle looked like it was he was had some mobility, and maybe that was what was his issue the last two weeks. And going forward, this is going to be the Kyle McCord we see, and I'm here for it. It was a big game by Marvin Harrison. He put himself back in the Heisman conversation. I'm not going to rehash how I felt about it in the long run, but a good win, a good way to finish. We appreciate you guys listening. Josh will be back to run a much tighter ship this week. We'll be back for our normal Wednesday pod. Until then, like, rate, and review. Tell us how we're doing. And until next time, as Josh always says, Go Bucks.